Section 3 of The History of Emily Montague, Volume 4 by Francis Moore Brooke. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Letters 203 through 207. Letter 203 To John Temple, Esquire, Temple House, Rutland, Belfield, October 21. You ridicule my enthusiasm, my dear Temple, without considering there is no exertion of the human mind, no effort of the understanding, imagination, or heart, without a spark of this divine fire. Without enthusiasm, genius, virtue, pleasure, even love itself languishes. All that refines, adorns, softens, exalts, ennobles life has its source in this animating principle i glory in being an enthusiast in everything but in nothing so much as in my tenderness for this charming woman i am a perfect coyote in love and would storm enchanted castles and fight giants for my emily coldness of temper damps every spring that moves the human heart it is equally an enemy to pleasure riches fame to all which is worth living for i thank you for your wishes that i was rich but am by no means anxious myself on the subject you sons of fortune who possess your thousands a year and find them too little for your desires desires which grow from that very abundance imagine every man miserable who wants them in which you are greatly mistaken every real pleasure is within the reach of my little fortune and i am very indifferent about those which borrow their charms not from nature but from fashion and caprice my house is indeed less than yours but it is finely situated and large enough for my fortune that part of it which belongs peculiarly to my emily is elegant i have an equipage not for parade but use and the loveliest of women prefers it with me to all that luxury and magnificence could bestow with another the flowers in my garden bloom as fair the peach glows as deep as in yours does a flower blush more lovely or smell more sweet a peach look more tempting than its fellows i select it for my emily who receives it with delight as the tender tribute of love in some respects we are the more happy for being less rich the little avocations which our mediocrity of fortune makes necessary to both are the best preventives of that languor from being too constantly together which is all that love founded on taste and friendship has to fear had i my choice i should wish for a very small addition only to my income and that for the sake of others not myself i love pleasure and think it our duty to make life as agreeable as is consistent with what we owe to others but a true pleasurable philosopher seeks his enjoyments where they are really to be found not in the gratifications of a childish pride but of those affections which are born with us and which are the only rational sources of enjoyment when i am walking in these delicious shades with emily when i see those lovely eyes softened with artless fondness and hear the music of that voice when a thousand trifles unobserved but by the prying sight of love betray all the dear sensations of that bosom where truth and delicate tenderness have fixed their seat i know not the epicurean of whom i do not deserve to be the envy 
does your fortune my dear temple make you more than happy if not why so very earnestly wish an addition to mine believe me there is nothing about which i am more indifferent i am ten times more anxious to get the finest collection of flowers in the world for my emily you observe justly that there is nothing so insipid as women who have conversed with women only let me add nor so brutal as men who have lived only amongst men the desire of pleasing on each side in an intercourse enlivened by taste and governed by delicacy and honour calls forth all the graces of the person and understanding all the amiable sentiments of the heart it also gives good breeding ease and a certain awakened manner which is not to be acquired but in mixed conversation remember you and my dear lucy dine with us to-morrow it is to be a little family party to indulge my mother in the delight of seeing her children about her without interruption i have saved all my best fruit for this day we are to drink tea and sup in emily's apartment adieu your affectionate ed rivers i will to-morrow show you better grapes than any you have at temple house you rich men fancy nobody has anything good but yourselves but i hope next year to show you that you are mistaken in a thousand instances i will have such roses and jessamines such bowers of intermingled sweets you shall see what astonishing things emily's taste and my industry can do letter two o four to mrs fitzgerald belfield october twenty two finish your business my dear girl and let us see you again at belfield i need not tell you the pleasure mr fitzgerald's accompanying you will give us i die to see you my dear bell it is not enough to be happy unless i have somebody to tell every moment that i am so i want a confidant of my tenderness a friend like my bell indulgent to all my follies to talk of the loveliest and most beloved of mankind i want to tell you a thousand little instances of that ardent that refined affection which makes all the happiness of my life i want to paint the flattering attention the delicate fondness of that dear lover who is only the more so for being a husband you are the only woman on earth to whom i can without the appearance of insult talk of my rivers because you are the only one i ever knew as happy as myself fitzgerald in the tenderness and delicacy of his mind resemble strongly i am interrupted adieu for a moment it was my rivers he brought me a bouquet i opened the door supposing it was my mother conscious of what i had been writing i was confused at seeing him he smiled and guessing the reason of my embarrassment i must leave you emily you are writing and by your blushes i know you have been talking of your lover i should have told you he insists on never seeing the letters i write and gives this reason for it, that he should be a great loser by seeing them, as it would restrain my pen when I talk of him. I believe I am very foolish in my tenderness, but you will forgive me. Rivers yesterday was throwing flowers at me and Lucy in play. As we were walking in the garden, I catched a wallflower, and by an involuntary impulse kissed it, and placed it in my bosom. He observed me, and his look of pleasure and affection is impossible to be described. What exquisite pleasure there is in these agreeable follies! He is the sweetest trifler in the world, my dear Bell. But in what does he not excel all mankind? 
As the season of autumnal flowers is almost over, he is sending for all those which blow early in the spring. He prevents every wish his Emily can form. Did you ever, my dear, see so fine an autumn as this? You will perhaps smile when I say, I never saw one so pleasing. Such a season is more lovely than even the spring. I want you down before this agreeable weather is all over. I am going to air with my mother. My rivers attends us on horseback. You cannot think how amiable his attention is to both. Adieu, my dear. My mother has sent to let me know she is ready. Your affectionate Emily Rivers Letter 205 To Captain Fitzgerald, Belfield, October 24 Some author has said, The happiness of the next world to the virtuous will consist in enjoying the society of minds like their own why then should we not do our best to possess as much as possible of this happiness here you will see this is a preface to a very earnest request to see captain fitzgerald and the lovely bell immediately at our farm take notice i will not admit even business as an excuse much longer i am just come from a walk in the wood behind the house with my mother and emily i want you to see it before it loses all its charms in another fortnight its present variegated foliage will be literally humbled in the dust there is something very pleasing in this season if it did not give us the idea of the winter which is approaching too fast the dryness of the air the soft western breeze the tremulous motion of the falling leaves the rustling of those already fallen under our feet their variety of lively colours give a certain spirit and agreeable fluctuation to the scene which is unspeakably pleasing by the way we people of warm imaginations have vast advantages over others we scorn to be confined to present scenes or to give attention to such trifling objects as times and seasons i already anticipate the spring see the woodbines and wild roses bloom in my grove and almost catch the gale of perfume twelve o'clock i have this moment received your letter i am sorry for what you tell me of miss h whose want of art has led her into indiscretions tis too common to see the most innocent nay even the most laudable actions censured by the world as we cannot however eradicate the prejudices of others it is wisdom to yield to them in things which are indifferent one ought to conform to and respect the customs as well as the laws and religion of our country where they are not contrary to virtue and to that moral sense which heaven has imprinted on our souls where they are contrary every generous mind will despise them i agree with you my dear friend that two persons who love not only seem but really are handsomer to each other than to the rest of the world when we look at those we ardently love a new softness steals unperceived into the eyes the countenance is more animated and the whole form has that air of tender languor which has such charms for sensible minds to prove the truth of this my emily approaches fair as the rising morn led by the hand of the graces she sees her lover and every charm is redoubled an involuntary smile a blush of pleasure speak a passion which is the pride of my soul even her voice melodious as it is by nature is softened when she addresses her happy rivers she comes to ask my attendance on her and my mother they are going to pay a morning visit a few miles off adieu till the little bell i kiss her hand your affectionate ed rivers letter two hundred and six to captain fitzgerald three o'clock we are returned and have met with an adventure which i must tell you 
about six miles from home at the entrance of a small village as i was riding very fast a little before the chaise a boy about four years old beautiful as a cupid came out of a cottage on the right hand and running across the road fell almost under my horse's feet i threw myself off in a moment and snatching up the child who was however unhurt carried him to the house i was met at the door by a young woman plainly dressed but of a form uncommonly elegant she had seen the child fall and her terror for him was plainly marked in her countenance she received him from me pressed him to her bosom and without speaking melted into tears my mother and emily had by this time reached the cottage the humanity of both was too much interested to let them pass they alighted came into the house and inquired about the child with an air of tenderness which was not lost on the young person whom we supposed his mother she appeared about two-and-twenty was handsome with an air of the world which the plainness of her dress could not hide her countenance was pensive with a mixture of sensibility which instantly prejudiced us all in her favour her look seemed to say she was unhappy and that she deserved to be otherwise her manner was respectful but easy and unconstrained polite without being servile and she acknowledged the interest we all seemed to take in what related to her in a manner that convinced us she deserved it though everything about us the extreme neatness the elegance simplicity of her house and little garden her own person that of the child both perfectly genteel her politeness her air of the world in a cottage like that of the meanest labourer tended to excite the most lively curiosity neither good breeding humanity nor the respect due to those who appear unfortunate would allow us to make any inquiries we left the place full of this adventure convinced of the merit as well as unhappiness of its fair inhabitant and resolved to find out if possible whether her misfortunes were of a kind to be alleviated and within our little power to alleviate i will own to you my dear fitzgerald i at that moment felt the smallness of my fortune and i believe emily had the same sensations though her delicacy prevented her naming them to me who have made her poor we can talk of nothing but the stranger and emily is determined to call on her again to-morrow on pretence of inquiring after the health of the child i tremble lest her story for she certainly has one should be such as however it may entitle her to compassion may make it impossible for emily to show it in the manner she seems to wish adieu your faithful ed rivers letter two hundred and seven to captain fitzgerald belfield october twenty four we have been again at the cottage and are more convinced than ever that this amiable girl is not in the station in which she was born we stayed two hours and varied the conversation in a manner which in spite of her extreme modesty made it impossible for her to avoid showing she had been educated with uncommon care her style is correct and elegant her sentiments noble yet unaffected we talked of books she said little on the subject but that little showed a taste which astonished us anxious as we are to know her true situation in order if she merits it to endeavour to serve her yet delicacy made it impossible for us to give the least hint of a curiosity which might make her suppose we entertained ideas to her prejudice she seemed greatly affected with the humane concern emily expressed for the child's danger yesterday as well as with the polite and even affectionate manner in which she appeared to interest herself in all which related to her emily made her general offers of service with a timid kind of softness in her air which seemed to speak rather a person asking a favour than wishing to confer an obligation she thanked my sweet emily with a look of surprise and gratitude to which it is not easy to do justice there was however an embarrassment in her countenance at those offers 
which a little alarms me she absolutely declined coming to belfield i know not what to think emily who has taken a strong prejudice in her favour will answer for her conduct with her life but i will own to you i am not without my doubts when i consider the inhuman arts of the abandoned part of one sex and the romantic generosity and too unguarded confidence of the most amiable of the other when i reflect that where women love they love without reserve that they fondly imagine the man who is dear to them possessed of every virtue that their very integrity of mind prevents their suspicions when i think of her present retirement so apparently ill suited to her education when i see her beauty her elegance of person with that tender and melancholy air so strongly expressive of the most exquisite sensibility when in short i see the child and observe her fondness for him i have fears for her which i cannot conquer i am as firmly convinced as emily of the goodness of her heart but i am not so certain that even that very goodness may not have been from an unhappy concurrence of circumstances her misfortune we have company to dine adieu till the evening ten at night about three hours ago emily received the enclosed from our fair cottager adieu your affectionate ed rivers to mrs rivers madam though i have every reason to wish the melancholy event which brought me here might continue unknown yet your generous concern for a stranger who had no recommendation to your notice but her appearing unhappy and whose suspicious situation would have injured her in a mind less noble than yours has determined me to lay before you a story which it was my resolution to conceal for ever i saw madam in your countenance when you honoured me by calling at my house this morning and i saw with an admiration no words can speak the amiable struggle between the desire of knowing the nature of my distress in order to soften it and the delicacy which forbade your inquiries lest they should wound my sensibility and self-love to such a heart i run no hazard in relating what in the world would perhaps draw on me a thousand reproaches reproaches however i flatter myself undeserved you have had the politeness to say there is something in my appearance which speaks my birth above my present situation in this madam i am so happy as not to deceive your generous partiality my father who was an officer of family and merit had the misfortune to lose my mother whilst i was an infant he had the goodness to take on himself the care of directing my education and to have me taught whatever he thought becoming my sex though at an expense much too great for his income as he had little more than his commission his parental tenderness got so far the better of his love for his profession that when i was about fifteen he determined on quitting the army in order to provide better for me but whilst he was in treaty for this purpose a fever carried him off in a few days and left me to the world with little more than five hundred pounds which however was by his will immediately in my power i felt too strongly the loss of this excellent parent to attend to any other consideration and before i was enough myself to think what i was to do for a subsistence a friend of my own age whom i tenderly loved who was just returning from school to her father's in the north of england insisted on my accompanying her 
and spending some time with her in the country. I found in my dear Sophia all the consolation my grief could receive, and at her pressing solicitation, and that of her father, who saw his daughter's happiness depended on having me with her, I continued there three years, blessed in the calm delights of friendship and those blameless pleasures, with which we should be too happy if the heart could content itself, when a young baronet, whose form was as lovely as his soul was dark, came to interrupt our felicity. My Sophia, at a ball, had the misfortune to attract his notice. She was rather handsome, though without regular features. Her form was elegant and feminine, and she had an air of youth, of softness, of sensibility, of blushing innocence, which seemed intended to inspire delicate passions alone, and which would have disarmed any mind less depraved than that of the man who only admired to destroy. She was the rosebud, yet impervious to the sun. Her heart was tender, but had never met an object which seemed worthy of it. Her sentiments were disinterested and romantic to excess. Her father was at that time in Holland, whither the death of a relation, who had left him a small estate, had called him. We were alone, unprotected, delivered up to the unhappy inexperience of youth, mistresses of our own conduct, myself, the eldest of the two, but just eighteen, when my Sophia's ill fate conducted Sir Charles Verville to the ball where she first saw him. He danced with her, and endeavoured to recommend himself by all those little unmeaning but flattering attentions by which our credulous sex are so often misled. His manner was tender, yet timid, modest, respectful. His eyes were continually fixed on her, but when he met hers, artfully cast down, as if afraid of offending. He asked permission to inquire after her health the next day. He came, he was enchanting, polite, lively, soft, insinuating, adorned with every outward grace which could embellish virtue, or hide vice from view, to see and to love him was almost the same thing. He entreated leave to continue his visits, which he found no difficulty in obtaining. During two months not a day passed without our seeing him. His behaviour was such as would scarce have alarmed the most suspicious heart. What, then, could be expected of us, young, sincere, totally ignorant of the world, and strongly prejudiced in a favour of a man whose conversation spoke his soul the abode of every virtue? Blushing, I must own, nothing but the apparent preference he gave to my lovely friend could have saved my heart from being a prey to the same tenderness which ruined her. He addressed her with all the specious arts which vice would invent to seduce innocence. His respect, his esteem seemed equal to his passion. He talked of honour, of the delight of an union where the tender affections alone were consulted, wished for her father's return, to ask her of him in marriage, pretended to count impatiently the hours of his absence, which delayed his happiness. He even prevailed on her to write her father an account of his addresses. New to love, my Sophia's young heart too easily gave way to the soft impression. 
She loved, she idolized this most base of mankind. She would have thought it a kind of sacrilege to have had any will in opposition to his. After some months of unremitted assiduity, her father being expected in a few days, he dropped a hint, as if by accident, that he wished his fortune less, that he might be the more certain he was loved for himself alone. He blamed himself for his delicacy, but charged it on excess of love, vowed he would rather die than injure her, yet wished to be convinced her fondness was without reserve. Generous, disinterested, eager to prove the excess and sincerity of her passion, she fell into the snare. She agreed to go off with him and live some time in a retirement where she was to see only himself, after which he engaged to marry her publicly. He pretended ecstasies at this proof of affection, yet hesitated to accept it, and, by piquing the generosity of her soul, which knew no guile and therefore suspected none, led her to insist on devoting herself to wretchedness. In order, however, that this step might be as little known as possible, as he pretended the utmost concern for that honour he was contriving to destroy, it was agreed between them that he should go immediately to London, and that she should follow him, under pretence of a visit to a relation at some distance. The greatest difficulty was how to hide the design from me. She had never before concealed a thought from her beloved Fanny, nor could he now have prevailed on her to deceive me. Had he not artfully persuaded her I was myself in love with him, and that, therefore, it would be cruel, as well as imprudent, to trust me with the secret. Nothing shows so strongly the power of love in absorbing every faculty of the soul, as my dear Sophia's being prevailed on to use art with the friend most dear to her on earth. By an unworthy piece of deceit I was sent to a relation for some weeks, and the next day Sophia followed her infamous lover leaving letters for me and her father, calculated to persuade us they were privately married. My distress, and that of the unhappy parent, may more easily be conceived than described. Severe by nature, he cast her from his heart and fortune forever, and settled his estate on a nephew, then at the university. As to me, grief and tenderness were the only sensations I felt, I went to town and took every private method to discover her retreat, but in vain, till near a year after, when, being in London, with a friend of my mother's, a servant who had lived with my Sophia, saw me in the street and knew me. By her means I discovered that she was in distress, abandoned by her lover, in that moment when his tenderness was most necessary. I flew to her and found her in a miserable apartment, in which nothing but an extreme neatness would have made me suppose she had ever seen happier days. The servant who brought me to her attended her. She was in bed, pale, emaciated, the lovely babe you saw with me in her arms. Though prepared for my visit, she was unable to bear the shock of seeing me, I ran to her, she raised herself in the bed, and, throwing her feeble arms round my neck, could only say, My Fanny, is this possible? and fainted away. 
our cares having recovered her she endeavoured to compose herself her eyes were fixed tenderly on me she pressed my hand between hers the tears stole silently down her cheeks she looked at her child then at me she would have spoke but the feelings of her heart were too strong for expression i begged her to be calm and promised to spend the day with her i did not yet dare lest the emotion should be too much for her weak state to tell her we would part no more i took a room in the house and determined to give all my attention to the restoration of her health after which i hoped to contrive to make my little fortune with industry support us both i sat up with her that night she got a little rest she seemed better in the morning she told me the particulars i have already related she however endeavoured to soften the cruel behaviour of the wretch whose name i could not hear without horror she had in the afternoon a little fever i sent for a physician he thought her in danger what did not my heart feel from this information she grew worse i never left her one moment the next morning she called me to her she took my hand and looking at me with a tenderness no language can describe my dear my only friend said she i am dying you are come to receive the last breath of your unhappy sophia i wish with ardour for my father's blessing and forgiveness but dare not ask him the weakness of my heart has undone me i am lost abandoned by him on whom my soul doted by him for whom i would have sacrificed a thousand lives he has left me with my babe to perish yet i still love him with unabated fondness the pang of losing him sinks me to the grave her speech here failed her for a time but recovering she proceeded hard as this request may seem and to whatever miseries it may expose my angel friend i adjure you not to desert my child save him from the wretchedness that threatens him let him find in you a mother not less tender but more virtuous than his own i know my fanny i undo you by this cruel confidence but who else will have mercy on this innocent unable to answer my heart torn with unutterable anguish i snatched the lovely babe to my bosom i kissed him i bathed him with my tears she understood me a gleam of pleasure brightened her dying eyes the child was still pressed to my heart she gazed on us both with a look of wild affection then clasping her hands together and breathing a fervent prayer to heaven sunk down and expired without a groan to you madam i need not say the rest the eloquence of angels could not paint my distress i saw the friend of my soul the best and most gentle of her sex a breathless corpse before me her heart broke by the ingratitude of the man she loved her honour the sport of fools her guiltless child a sharer in her shame and all this ruin brought on by a sensibility of which the best minds alone are susceptible by that noble integrity of soul which made it impossible for her to suspect another distracted with grief i kissed my sophia's pale lips talked to her lifeless form 
I promised to protect the sweet babe who smiled on me and with his little hand pressed mine, as if sensible of what I said. As soon as my grief was enough calmed to render me capable of anything, I wrote an account of Sophia's death to her father, who had the inhumanity to refuse to see her child. I disdained an application to her murderer, and, retiring to this place where I was and resolved to continue, unknown, determined to devote my life to the sweet infant and to support him by an industry which I did not doubt heaven would prosper. The faithful girl who had attended Sophia begged to continue with me. We work for the milliners in the neighbouring towns and, with the little pittance I have, keep above want. I know the consequence of what I have undertaken. I know I give up the world and all hopes of happiness to myself. Yet will I not desert this friendless little innocent, nor betray the confidence of my expiring friend, whose last moments were soothed with the hope of his finding a parent's care in me. You have had the goodness to wish to serve me. Sir Charles Verville is dead, a fever, the consequence of his ungoverned intemperance, carried him off suddenly. His brother Sir William has a worthy character. If Colonel Rivers, by his general acquaintance with the great world, can represent this story to him, it possibly may procure my little Charles happier prospects than my poverty can give him. Your goodness, madam, makes it unnecessary to be more explicit. To be unhappy and not to have merited it, is a sufficient claim to your protection. You are above the low prejudices of common minds. You will pity the wretched victim of her own unsuspecting heart. You will abhor the memory of her savage undoer. You will approve my complying with her dying request, though in contradiction to the selfish maxims of the world. You will, if in your power, endeavour to serve my little prattler. Till I had explained my situation, I could not think of accepting the honour you allowed me to hope for, of inquiring after your health at Belfield. If the step I have taken meets with your approbation, I shall be most happy to thank you and Colonel Rivers for your attention to one whom you would before have seen justified in supposing unworthy of it. I am, madam, with the most perfect respect and gratitude, your obliged and obedient servant, F. Williams. Your own heart, my dear Fitzgerald, will tell you what were our reflections on reading the enclosed. Emily, whose gentle heart feels for the weaknesses as well as misfortunes of others, will tomorrow fetch this heroic girl and her little ward to spend a week at Belfield, and we will then consider what is to be done for them. You know Sir William Verville. Go to him from me. With the enclosed letter, he is a man of honour, and will, I am certain, provide for the poor babe, who, had not his father been a monster of unfeeling inhumanity, would have inherited the estate and title Sir William now enjoys. Is not the midnight murderer, my dear friend, white as snow, to this vile seducer, this betrayer of unsuspecting, trusting innocence? What transport is it to me to reflect that not one bosom ever heaved a sigh of remorse, of which I was the cause? I grieve for the poor victim of a tenderness amiable in itself, though productive of such dreadful consequences when not under the guidance of reason. It ought to be a double tie on the honour of men that the woman who truly loves 
gives up her will without reserve to the object of her affection virtuous less from reasoning and fixed principle than from elegance and a lovely delicacy of mind naturally tender even to excess carried away by a romance of sentiment the helpless sex are too easily seduced by engaging their confidence and piquing their generosity i cannot write my heart is softened to a degree which makes me incapable of anything do not neglect one moment going to sir william Derville. adieu your affectionate ed rivers End of section three.